0: This morning we're going to talk a little bit about hard times, difficult times that can happen in our lives. Um, I know there have been some very strange times in my life as a follower of Jesus that made me question if God knew what he was doing, whether or not he cared. And if Christi- as Christians, uh, we honestly, we know the answer deep down inside. But when you come face to face with those difficulties... When you come face to face with those trials that you may be going through, it's very easy to be focused on your situation. Maybe it's very easy for you to be focused on the pain that you're walking through. Um, And maybe you can think to yourself that God isn't there, God doesn't care. A few of those uh, times in my life involved the loss of a job. Talked about that a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. I had a time right after high school. In which uh, all of my friends, the, the, the fall after I had graduated from high school, I had a major foot surgery. And all of my friends went off to college. I didn't have plans to go off to college at that time. Uh, so I sat at home uh, almost the entire summer with a broken foot on crutches. And I had a big old pity party for myself. Um, I would say that some of the hardest times that I've ever dealt with are the death of a, having a death of a loved one in my life. Uh, very early in my marriage, Catherine and I both lost a parent to illnesses, and those were very difficult times to go through, uh, very difficult things, a very difficult season to have to walk through. And I think sometimes when those types of situations happen in our life, a difficult time, maybe a loss of a loved one, maybe an illness that you may be walking through or a family member is walking through. Sometimes we look at our situation and we start thinking to ourselves that God is not good. I think that that's kind of our default human tendency, uh, that we default to God doesn't know what he's doing, that God is not good. And I would be willing to bet that the majority of us in this room today, even as Christ followers, have had a season of that in our lives. Um, it may be a season that you're walking through right now. But we've all gone through difficult times. Tragedies, uh, the loss of a job, maybe wrongfully terminated at a job. Maybe we've gone through a divorce. And it's, it's a painful experience that we've walked through. Um, many of the Christ followers in the day, in the biblical day of James, uh, struggled with these exact same thoughts. And here in James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, One of the crazy things before we really get into as we talk about the book of James is that James didn't believe his brother was the Messiah. It was only after his death and resurrection that James believed that his brother was uh, the Savior, the Messiah. James would eventually become a leader in the church After uh, Peter left to start some new churches, he would become uh, the leader in the church of Jerusalem. Um, And at these times, Christians were facing lots and lots of difficulties. Uh, They were facing persecution. They were dealing with famine and even persecution from a really good guy named Saul, who would later be known as Paul, but you can read a lot of his letters in in the Bible as well. But James's word here in the book of James would have been intended for Christians who would be reading the Bible uh, both then at that time but also today. And he wanted these words to spread uh, to all the Christians in the world, not just to his specific church, but to all Christians as they face these difficulties. Many of you, uh, when it comes to the book of James, I know Shane talked about this Wednesday night, is... He loves how direct and in your face James is. And James is going to be very direct and very in your face. And uh, you better wear your steel toe boots when you read the book of James because, without a doubt, he's going to step on your to- toes about something. And that's how James works. And so, but before we get into all of these things, and you, you've, you're going to read in James this week. But before you get into the meat of what he wants to talk about, before you start talking about when he confronts us about favoritism, before he confronts us about controlling your tongue, before he starts talking to us about what we should do with our wealth, James wants to set his readers here in chapter 1 up with some reminders about who God is, about who Christ is, and about who we are and our situation for that. So... Uh, Our main passage this morning will be chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, but I'm going to start reading in verse 12 because it kind of goes with the passage this morning. So if you have James chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's the word of God. Let's pray this morning. God, we do thank you uh, for the reminder of who you are. And that all these good gifts that we have in our life are from you. Father, as we take this passage and as we break it apart, and the same message that James had for the believers in Jerusalem of the day, and the same trials and the same temptations that they faced, are the exact same things that we have today. Same trials, same temptations, Father, you're the same good God and you're the same, you give down the same good gifts that you always have. So I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word this morning. I pray that you would help it to make sense to us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently uh, watched season five of uh, a TV show on Netflix called Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai is uh, uh, a continuation of the original 80s movie back in the day, Karate Kid. Now, I grew up watching Karate Kid. Uh, My wife, I mean, my mom used to take us to watch the Karate Kid and one, two, three, four, however many Karate Kids there were back in the day to the theater to watch these shows. And let's be honest if I ever stop and I see it on TV, I will stop and watch it, even with commercials, knowing that. I have the DVD of it right over there, but I still will watch it on TV when I catch it on because I like this show. Here's the thing. It's a terrible acting, but I just like it. I like the Karate Kid. It's something that I grew up with and I enjoy it. Story about Mr. Miyagi teaching Daniel LaRusso karate. But Mr. Miyagi's way of teaching Daniel was very unorthodox. He starts by building a fence. Then he goes on to staining the fence up. Down, tells him up, down. And he goes into sanding the floor. He builds this um, deck around his karate dojo, and Daniel was in charge of sanding it. He goes, Make wide circles. And then he makes him wash his cars. And he makes him wax his cars. And you know, Daniel, along the way, he just keeps getting more and more confused. And then he makes him paint his house, make wide strokes, side to side. And he has no clue what he's in store for. And at one part of the movie, Daniel, very tired, very sore, uh, very frustrated with Mr. Miyagi, comes to at the end of these chores and he decides he is sick of being Mr. Miyagi's manual labor. And he wants him to teach him some real karate. All right, I've done all your chores. I want you to teach me karate. But little did Daniel know he was teaching him Muscle memory of all of these things that he was doing on how to block and how to do karate. Kind of an interesting way. But James knew the people in the church of Jerusalem were facing difficulties. And much like Daniel lost faith in Mr. Miyagi and what Mr. Miyagi was trying to teach him, kept making him sore, kept going through these difficulties. In the same way that Mr. Miyagi was training Daniel to become stronger, uh, the church was going through some difficulties. And instead of looking at their situation and seeing how God was using them to make them stronger, they began to question the goodness of God. Rather than seeing the good that they were going through, the good things that uh, that were coming to fruition in their life because of what they were going through, They started to blame God. They started to say God is not good. And so their trials were becoming temptations. Their temptations were leading to sin. And so they began to accuse God of actually tempting them to sin. And as we just read in verses 12 through 15, uh, James will argue to them that God is good and God is a holy God. And he never sends temptation, he never sends uh, sin into our lives. And that leads us to our big idea this morning. Our big idea is this. God is a good God and only sends good and perfect gifts to his people. He's a good God that only sends good and perfect gifts to his people. So if I were to make the statement, God is good, and you would respond with, all the time. And I say, all the time, God is good. You know, we joke in saying that, but there's a lot of truth to that statement. And there's a lot of deep biblical truth in that statement. William Tyndale says it like this God's goodness is the root of goodness, and our goodness, if we have any, springs out of his goodness. <clears throat> so, James, right out of the gate, is trying to make this point that God is good. And that everything that comes out of him is good. So let's see how James defends that. Number one, James defends the goodness of God. Look at verse 16. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. James is going to start off with this warning. Right here as he starts in in verse 16. And this passage is going to be like a bridge between verses uh, 12 through 15 and between seventeen and eighteen, and right in the middle, you're going to have this warning. So, this word of warning, John uh, James commands them in this moment: Do not be deceived. Do not be misled. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Greek verb means to uh, to stray or to wander away from truth or safety, and James uses this word here to warn his readers not to be led away. From the truth, the truth about who God is, the truth about the goodness of God. So James tells them, do not be deceived. This command is actually, I really like this part, but it, it's actually a command to, that would ask them to stop doing something that was already in progress. So in other words, it could be read, stop being deceived. So, stop being deceived, my beloved brothers. Stop believing what is in your heart. Stop believing all these lies that Satan keeps throwing your way. Shane kind of uh, mentioned this Wednesday night. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about God confronting Adam and Eve after they had sinned in the garden. Confronting Adam. And he looks at Eve and he says, what have you done? And Eve, like any one of us put in the same situation, did exactly what any of us would do. Uh, the serpent made me do it. Right? Right? Uh, they made me do it. Someone else made me do it. It's not my fault. They made me do it. And so this is an ongoing thing that has constantly taken place all throughout history. The ancient trick that Satan used to Adam and Eve in the garden, the same lie that Satan used is, is the same lie that Satan is using right here on the church in Jerusalem. It's the same lie that he uses to us today. He seeks to deceive us. He seeks to trick us. And he will use any means necessary to get us to question the goodness of God. To get us to question the goodness of God's word. What God says in his word. So we have this word of warning. Next we have a word from a brother. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I like how James is both firm... And he has compassion. He has kindness as he gives this warning to these people. Because these are his brothers and sisters in Christ. He loves them. He cares for them. He wants what's best for them. You know, they've been, they're a part of the church. They've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. They are part of God's family. He cares for them. He doesn't want them to believe a lie about who God is. About who their Savior is. He wanted their best. But... They were also very quick to be deceived about who God is. It happens to you. It happens to me. We question the goodness of God all the time. The great uh, little portion here for you says, The danger of unrepentant sinners is unbelief. But the danger of repentant sinners is misbelief. Unbelief and misbelief. James didn't want them to misbelieve the truth about God. And so many times that happens. When we go through difficulties, when we face trials, we stop believing the truth about who God is. C.S. Lewis says it like this, The thing I feared is not that I'll stop believing in God, but that I might begin believing dreadful things about Him. Not that I'll say there is no God, But then I'll say, so that's what God is really like. And we're completely under that danger. It's a danger for us uh, today. And James is warning the church at this time, be on alert. Do not be deceived or stop being deceived. How we view God and what we believe about God is important. It's very important. Jeremiah nine says it like this: "Thus says the Lord, let no uh, let the wise man boast, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this: that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness, in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord let him who boasts that he understands and knows me and James loves these people and he wanted them to know God for who he really was and to see that all the things that he had that they had in their lives were gifts from above and so James gives this very stern warning uh, in love do not be deceived my brothers next James shows us where the good in our life is from <clears throat> look at verse 17 Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so James just continues in verse 17 with these things that we can rest in, these things that we can put our trust in. Uh, First one, God is the source of all that is good. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. They come from above. They come from God. Uh, God is the only one that is always good all the time. There are two different Greek words in the verse that, both, that are both kind of translated for the word gift. And they are both used in the same way in this passage. Uh, but they're used differently. One is uh, God's act of giving. The other one is the nature of God's giving. So let's look at the first one. The very act of God giving gifts is good. The very act of God giving gifts is good. This focuses on giving. Uh, you know, I love to give good gifts. I love to give gifts to people. Uh, I spend a lot of time and a lot of effort um, trying to find the perfect gift. I, I know um, my biggest downfall that I have in my life is I cannot wait once I have a gift. Once I thought of a gift, I, I have a hard time waiting to give someone that gift. Um, our, our office staff, we always draw names to buy Christmas gifts for one another. Mine's already sitting in my office. We're in October. We don't exchange gifts till December. Mine's sitting in my office right now. That's how I just like gifts. I like buying gifts for people. It's a lot of fun. Um, I love to see people's expression on their face when they open a gift from me. And you know what we get disappointed with? When someone doesn't get as excited about a gift as you were to give it to them. Right, And we get disappointed about that. I enjoy giving gifts. But one thing about my gifts is that they're not perfect. They might be decent. right? Um, but you know what, who else enjoys giving gifts? Good and perfect gifts? Your Father in heaven. Um, His very act of giving to us is good. And you might say, yes, Corey, that's obvious. Uh, I think it's so obvious sometimes we miss it so obvious that we miss it. 2 Corinthians 9 says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Of course, that's about giving to the church. No, it's about giving in general. You want me to prove it? We see it in action every year this time of year, every year at Christmas time. Because I know some of you, you're hoping to yourself, man, I really hope that this person doesn't give me a Christmas gift because I really don't want to buy them one, Right? We've all had that. Or the flip. I have to go get them a Christmas gift because they got me one, right? Some of us, when we even do our Christmas cards, we will keep a stash of Christmas cards to the side because if someone else sends you one and you didn't send them one, well, I've got to write them a Christmas card and send them one back, right? You're all giggling because I know there's a little bit of truth to it. But you know who we don't splurge on, who we will splurge on? Our children. You know, we might splurge or we may be reluctant to give to others. But when it comes to our kids, we don't hesitate to give them above and beyond what we can, what our means are. Because we love our children. The Bible tells us, Matthew 7, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? His very act of giving good gifts is good. Uh, so secondly, the nature of his gifts are good. This is the second word used with this gift, is perfect. It's the second time James, is, James used the word perfect in these verses. If you look back up at verse 4, he says this, And let steadfast, steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This word refers to a spiritual maturity. Uh... Not sinless perfection, but spiritual maturity. And that's something that Christ longs for us to have. And that's something that James was uh, trying to get across to the church here. The trials that we face in this life are designed to help us to grow and help us to mature in our faith. The difficulties that we face are to make us stronger. And as the reader of this letter began facing these trials... Some accused God of tempting them to sin. And James is going to stop them right in their tracks and be like, hold the phone. Stop. No. He will proclaim here that God only gives good and perfect gifts. That is, the gifts of God are always given to build us up, not to cause us to stumble. Let me tell you what this does not mean. Because I'll tell you, every good gift is from above. Let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that every gift from the Father is pleasant. This does not mean that every gift from the Father is desirable. This does not mean everyone's going to be easy. It might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. But it's meant for our good. It's meant to build us up, not to tear us down. The nature of His gifts are good. They're not necessarily meant for our pleasure or comfort. That's a hard lesson to learn sometimes. The nature of his gifts is always good. And James is driving that point home in this letter. Next, God is sovereign. Let's continue reading. uh, Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, this coming down is a present participle. It describes a continual, never-ending flow of God's grace to his children, uh, the goodness of God. These good and perfect gifts are just a constant stream that doesn't end. And when trials and when difficulties uh, come into our life, that's how we should respond. We look to God. Like the uh, psalmist says, uh, likely King David, but in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. They come down from the Father of lights. You know, Father of lights is one of the terms that is used in the Bible to speak about God when they don't want to use the word God or the name of God. Um, The lights mentioned here are the heavenly lights, sun, moon, stars, planets, the heavenly bodies. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies uh, proclaim his handiwork. The Creator is sovereign over it all. He's sovereign over it all. You know, in Joshua chapter 10, you have a story of God causing the sun to stop. That time stood still so that God's people could defeat their enemy. Uh, I can't tell you how this happened, but I can tell you who did it. The Father of lights. He caused the sun to stop in the sky. He is sovereign over it all. He controls it all. Why? Because... Next, God never changes. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. The word variation denotes a constant change in the heavens. Um, the sun, the moon, the stars. They may look absolutely still to us as we look at them in the sky. But they're, con- they're totally moving all the time. Moving. I just read Thursday that uh, they saw uh, an asteroid hit Mars. How crazy is that? I mean, a mass, it created a massive uh, crater in Mars. You can go look at it. But this meteor just hits Mars and they happen to see it. And so um, it's always changing. Um, new, storm, uh, new stars are formed. Stars die. It may look like it's not changing, but it is. I remember when Halley's Comet came. When I was about 10 years old, my son's age, Halley's Comet came around to Earth and Constantly, for a few weeks, you could see it moving across the sky. It was moving. There it was every night. When I, uh, Even sometimes during the day you could see it. But there it was a little bit further down through the sky. 2,000 miles per hour. And yet we could see it zooming through the sky. God does not change. There's no variation with God. Malachi 3.6, God reminds us, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You know, the reason why we haven't been wiped off the face of the earth is because God is loving and gracious to us, abounding in steadfast love. Hebrews that we just got through reading reminds us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no variation with him. It goes on. It says, there's not even a shadow of change. In other words, life may be difficult... But God is still good. You may be facing trials and temptations, but guess what? God is still good. And there is nothing that's going to change that fact. You know, if you stand in one place long enough during the day, you can even set up a video recorder and you can record yourself all day long. And if you stand still, completely still, and you don't move, from your perspective, it looks like the sun moves. You're standing in one place, you see the shadow over here, All of a sudden, it's right under you. Then it moves on to this side of you. It looks like the sun is moving. But in all reality, who's moving? You are. You're the one on the planet. The planet is moving. The sun has not moved at all. Even though it may seem like you are moving, or the sun is moving, it's really you that are moving. It's that way with God. I think sometimes in life, when difficulties arrive, when... Trials happen in our life. It seems like God has moved away from us. Seems like God may be far away. It's not God who has moved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still good. He's good all the time. To those who belong to him, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. It reminds me of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It says, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. That's what the song's about. God does not change. He's good all the time. So let's look how James is going to prove the goodness of God. Let's look at how James is going to prove it. A few weeks ago, my wife and I purchased a jacket for my daughter's birthday. I had it hand-painted by a friend that I graduated high school with. Um... This is one of those gifts that I planned to head on, right? And my daughter has this little stuffed pink monkey that she calls noisy. It's her prized possession in the world. Um, she's had it ever since she was, before she was born. She loves it. Uh, she still sleeps with it now. She's nine years old. She still sleeps with it. She can't go to sleep without it. But we had it hand-painted on this jean jacket. and we, I thought, man, this is going to be the great. It has little jewels painted on it. This is the greatest gift. I planned way ahead, paid way too much for it. You know, all that good stuff. And of course, I get it in, th- in the mail, and I can't wait for her to open it. So I let her open it early. Go figure, that's me. She opens up this gift that I have planned ahead for. And she looks at she's like, But you know what she was impressed with? She wasn't that impressed with the jacket. I got a cute picture with her with it on her. She took it right off after I took the picture, right? She was impressed with this little two-dollar journal that they had placed inside with the jacket. They had to give a little fluffy pen and with pink spot. this! She loved that two-dollar journal, and she carries it everywhere. Several hundred dollars on a jacket. on a journal. I love it. I want to take it everywhere. You can insert eye roll because that's what I was doing. The diary was not the gift. The jacket was the gift, right? And James did not want his readers to be so preoccupied with all the other stuff going on in their life that they miss sight of what God's true and perfect gift is. So he specifies the ultimate gift that God gives to us. Verse 18. Of his own will he, he brought forth, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This phrase, be brought forth, he brought us forth. This states the uh, doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is the sovereign act by which God gives sinners who are dead in their sins, who are dead in their trespasses, new life in Christ. John chapter 3. Right before we get to verse 16. Verses 6 and 8 says this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That is what Jesus Christ has done, God has done for you through Jesus Christ. He brought us forth. He's given us new life. It's the same word, if you look, brought us forth. It's the same word used in verse 15 when James says this. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin brings forth death. God brings us forth into new life through Jesus Christ. And in verse 18, uh, the verb brought forth means that it has happened once and for all. It's complete. It's total. That means you're not born again and again and again and again. There's one salvation through Jesus Christ. And when you have experienced that salvation, it's once and for all. God has brought you forth into new new life once and for all. Let's see how this happens. New birth only happens by God's will. It only happens by God's will. Verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth means God has saved us because of who he is. It is because of his great love for us that we are saved. And John, tells us, uh, and John J- Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, I chose you. Left to our, ourselves, we are lost in our sins. We have been separated from a holy God, and without God intervening on our behalf, we would not choose to follow God. But he changes us. He takes out our heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And he calls us to himself. I pray that God has done that work in your life. That he has taken uh, your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. That he has softened up your heart to to the gospel. And it's not of your own will. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born... Not of blood or of the will of the flesh. Not of the will of man, but the will of God. He has brought us forth because it is his will to bring us forth. Nextly, new birth takes place through God's word. According to verse 18, it means uh, by which God gives us new life is by the word of truth. Ephesians 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. God saves sinners. Who hear and believe the word of truth. Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the greatest part of this is that we get to be a part of this situation. Romans 10 talks, gives us a dilemma as far as this uh, prevent, dilemmas in preventing sinners to be called to God. It says, how then uh, will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God brings us forth into new life through the word of Jesus Christ. Through the truth, Jesus Christ. And this affirmation of the word that God's, of God's work in our life and the testimony we have in the life and work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, now we get to live that out through the local church. We get to be a part of God's plan to spread the truth of who God is to the world. And the local church works best when we, as sinners, understand who we are as sinners. We see Jesus for what he's done. We see God for who he truly is, how good he is. And he's a good father that gives us good gifts, good and perfect gifts. And we work best when we realize those facts. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, God is holy. And he's given us Jesus. And through Jesus we have life. And we can't help but tell the world the truth about who Jesus is if that has truly taken place in our lives. And why should we do that? I'm glad you asked. Our last point. New birth takes place for the glory of God. For God's glory. We are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In the Bible days uh, when the harvest came, the people were to give their first, first fruits. The best of the best. And they were to bring it as an offering to the Lord. Here James is trying to make that connection for us. He is telling us that if you have placed your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, we are the first fruits of God. We are the best of his creation. Uh, I can't remember where I read this, but I wrote it down and it was really good. And I can't give credit to the author, but uh, it was really good. It says, salvation is for us, but it's not about us. Salvation is for us, but it's not about us. God uh, saves us for his glory. It's all about the glory of God. He doesn't save us for our glory. He saves us for his glory. And if you're here today and you've not placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, the Bible says that today is the day for salvation. Today, you can place your your hope and your trust in Jesus, and you will be saved. Uh, if that is you, uh, in a moment after the service is concluded, I would just ask that you come and talk to one of our pastors. We're going to be available, and if you would like to talk to someone about placing your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, we will be more than willing to talk to you about that. But if you're here this morning, and you're a Christ follower, and you might be in a place that... Uh, of the people that James was writing this letter to. You might be in a place of massive trials. You might be in a place of tribulation. You might be in a place where you're like, you know what, Corey, I've believed all the lies that Satan has thrown my way, and I have lost trust in God, and, and I don't think that he's given me good gifts. And I, at this point, I don't even believe that he's a good father. That might be you this morning. <clears throat> and I would just say that it might be a good time to fall down on your knees and cry out to him and say, man, I I, I repent of that. I'm sorry for that. Because we can be deceived. And that's where James gives us this warning. Stop being deceived. God is still good. He's still on his throne. He's never left his throne. He's there. And he gives us good and perfect gifts. And it's a great reminder for all of us that every good gift is from above, from the Father of lights. And sometimes we forget that. And it's not that God has moved it's that we have moved, so let's draw near to him and rest and he who has done um, he has done for sinners through his Son Jesus Christ, so uh let's pray this morning.